how how did I end up in Ireland? Okay, this is this is a <laughs> this is a story. The the train I used to I used to live in a little village called West Horsley in Surrey, and the trainer he was moving his all his horses to a, a, a racing establishment in Lambourne in Berkshire, and he said to me, "If you want, you can have a job up there." And I hadn't done my exams, and I I said. If he goes, that's it. I'll be, I'll be finished. So I just, ca- I came home, told my mum she was on her own, and I said, Ma, I'm, I'm getting a job. I'm getting a job in Lambourne. So forget about. Can you tell the school that I won't be coming back? So I went to Lambourne, and I loved it. It was, it was a racing establishment. There were about forty racing stables in Lambourne, and. Even the side of the road had non-slip tarmac for the horses to trot along to the gallops. There was gallop, you know, it was really just, it was a racing establishment. But unfortunately, the man that I worked for, he was a bit of a, what would you call him, a venture capitalist or something like that. And he, he lost all his money. And he decided he'd move his yard Obviously, to avoid paying taxes or this, that, and the other, he decided to come to Ireland. So, more or less, I went, had to go back home to my own house, and the I thought this is this is terrible, you know. So, the horses were moved from Lambourne to Ireland, and I I got a job in another little stable in, in the same village where my brother worked, and I said that's that's. Uh, you know, it was a flat racing stable, and I, I was too heavy for that because I, you know, nearly six foot. So uh, I, I, I presumed my uh, racing or riding career was that was it. But after about three or four months, I got a, a phone call from Ireland. Would you like a job in Ireland? So I'll be on the next plane. So they sent me tickets to Dublin Airport, and I was there. And where we went to was a place in Clondalkin. The, it was Cappermore House. And the Cappermore House is where uh, Archbishop Dermot Ryan was born. And I, I kind of, it meant nothing to me at the time. I was, <laughs> I was only 17. So, but once again, his, his vent, you know, the, these, uh, his, what would you call them, investments that he would make, how he made his money didn't work out. So I was there for a few months and the person who was more or less managing the stables for this, his name was Crossley Cook. Um, he he decided that he would go into training for himself and Crossley Cook had, went back to England. And uh, so we got Brackenstown House, uh, the stables. And that's how we ended up in Swords. So, um, I, f- I found the Irish to be so friendly, um, even though, you know, there's a, there's, there's a bit of a, a, an edge between, oh, he's English. <laughs> but I think it was because I was kind of harmless enough that they kind of said, ah, this poor idiot, we'll let him, <laughs> we'll let him off. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I was working in the yard and in, in Brackenstown Stables and what a place! It was like a playground. It was. It was. Uh, every every day, you you rode the horses around the fields, the woods, in the river, 
and you went by the lake um, and the horses actually loved being trained in around that area because Compared to Lambourne, which was the racing establishment, all there was was open fields. And some of them would get, they'd get it into their head that I, I don't like this. Whereas in Brackenstown, I've never saw one horse that didn't enjoy going out in around the woods, splashing in the river. And <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fun. Well, really, it would be after I had left Brackenstown, um, which... Now, there was, apparently there was a stallion in Clocker and Stud called Blanford. And, but he had no relation to the horse. <laughs> yeah, no. David, David Blanford, he, he, was, he would have been the horse box driver in, in England, in Lambourne. And he, he would have drove, driven the horses to the races um, or off, off to wherever they were needed to go. And he was, he was the man that, came with Crossley Cook from Lambourne to Ireland at first. And of course, when, when he went bang in Ireland, um, what happened was there were, there were about half a dozen horses in the yard that he, Crossley Cook owed, owed money to. The, the, the owners, the, say the owner of the chemist shop, he, he would have veterinary bills there for buying stuff. He, the butcher shop, he didn't pay him. Um, there was a garage and all these people that owed, were owed money, Blanford said to them, I'll tell you what I can do, he says. We have a few horses here. He says, I can train them for you and we see how we go. Yeah. So that was, that was how he got, he got half a dozen owners that were owed money by Crusty Cook. So I, I met my wife. Um, there, was, there was a young... We, we often had people coming in to work as grooms in the yard. I mean, they come and they go, um, you know, they, they find a, a, maybe a better job, you know, kind of a, a better paying job maybe because working with horses really didn't pay that well unless you were in the kind of... I, I rode a few horses and you got paid well for that. It, you know, the... Uh, the What would you call the, the, the Irish Racehorse Association? They... They managed all the owners, and they collected all the fees for them, and you got paid. One of these guys, working in the yard, he he lived next door to where my wife lived, and it was in it was in Clontarf, which was you know not too far away from. And I I brought him home one day. Who should be there? Only the bowl reader. And I said, cool. <laughs> so got chatting to her and I was I was racing the next day and I said to her, Do you want to do you want to come to the, the races with me? And uh oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it kind of developed from there and I used to she used to catch the bus from town out to Brackenstown. Um the sixty bus. It was the Lee's Cross bus. It used to stop right outside the stable, the Brackenstown gate, and she, I'd meet her up at the top of the avenue. Um, I did have a car, but well, you call it a car. It was a Morris Minor. <laughs> I, I I didn't realise 
by when I moved into Brackenstown House, the, the history that was behind it, um, to me, it was just a playground. You know, I was a 17-year-old <laughs> lunatic. But um, when you go back to, uh, there was a Viscount Molesworth owned, owned the estate, and he, he developed all the gardens, the lakes, and, I mean, the vista from the house, it must have been fantastic because he, he, he built an artificial lake on top which extends from Brookdale. Um, the, the actual hollow is still, is still in the ground up, up beside Brookdale where there was, there was an artificial lake and they call it a canal. Yes, that's right. There was trees all the way around it. I, and when I, when I think back to it now, we used to, we had a couple of fences around the edge of that canal and we used to school the horses over the jumps. And half of the canal probably was, was, uh, had water in it. The, 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 help, the park nearer the house, obviously the leaks had developed and the water had leaked out of it. But, but down the furthest end, you know, the furthest east from Brackenstown House, there was water in it and it kept the horses from, <laughs> kept them straight. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, uh, there was a one, you know, as I say, Molesworth, he, he developed all of this uh, estate, planted trees. He, he got f uh, exotic plants in from all over the place. Apparently, there's a, it's still there, actually, is it? there's a, um, an evergreen oak tree. And it's, it's on the avenue exiting from the stables. And uh, I'd never seen it. I didn't know what an evergreen oak tree was, but... <laughs> Good old Google told me. Yes. Then there was okay. there was a a, a Dennis uh, Dennis Richard O'Callaghan. Apparently, he was a horse breeder. He had horses there, and when he moved he moved out. I think it was something to do with the Civil War here, and he moved out. And then uh, Harry Usher took over, and he he trained a lot of winners there. Um, he won the Galway Plate several times. Um, so he, he would have been a big trainer, probably, the, I won't say as good as Willie Mullins back in the day or Gordon Elliott, but, you know, he, they, they were, it, racing was a different game then. There wasn't as many at it and uh, it was inexpensive to keep horses and feed them and this type of stuff, you know, so you didn't, you didn't keep no hope horses. And <laughs> yeah. Apparently there was a, a Jack and Mary McGrath. They had lived beside where Rose Cottage is now. In, there was three little cottages there. Rose Cottage was only added on, I think in the late 1990s or something like that. Um, but there were three. And then when he became the yard manager for Harry Usher, they moved him into the, the stable house, the house in the stable yard. And that's where he was. But when Harry Usher passed away, which was, you know, he I think he trained there till about... 57, 1957 or something like that. Um, so they, to, to lease out the yard, they needed the house. So Jack and Mary McGrath had to move again and they were put in a little uh, bungalow on the exit road from the stables. And you can still see the railings where they were, but the house is gone. And apparently at the back of that house was a top mill. Robert Molesworth had constructed a, a, a tuck mill to pump water from the river up to a cistern house 
which was right beside the stables. And, I mean, the, the technology that they'd used to, to pump water, this was just the water that, that the plants that he had, you know, it was, I suppose that's what they did, you know. They, uh, I mean, I, I have a feeling that also down near where the mill was, they had an ice house. Now, most people around here call it a, a brick arch, but I have seen photographs of, of, of an ice house, and this is so like what ice houses were built. Okay, so at probably at any, at the most we ever had in working in the yard was, was probably six, six uh, people to ride out. So we'd have a string of six horses and we'd, we'd tack them up. We probably had around 20, 20 or so horses in the yard. Um, there was a front yard and a backyard. And that, I think that was in the days of Harry Usher. It was, if you had so many, you know, we didn't have that many, you'd need a front and a backyard. But in, in the days when they, or every stable was full, if a horse started coughing, you'd need to isolate him. So what they did was they could move it to a, a, an area where the other horses didn't come into contact with it, you know. And so you, you know, quarantine them more or less. But anyway, we, we we'd have the six the six horses and off we'd go, um, and right beside the uh, the stable yard was a, a one mile round field which was a gallop, and so it, depending on how close to a race they were coming you 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 wouldn't gallop them every day but you you kind of you'd bring them out for exercise so it, it, just say it wasn't a gallop day we'd go off into the woods um popping over fallen branches and everything and you'd you'd hear the horses squealing and this type of thing they they i have to say i've never seen horses enjoy themselves as much as as when they were in the woods because they wouldn't have been used to that. They'd be used to big open plains. You know, if, if you bought a horse from the Curra, all they could see was just open space. Whereas in, in Brackenstown, and there was loads of trails you could go on. Sometimes you'd have to duck your head getting under branches or trees, but that was, that was part of the fun. <laughs> Tracy's, Teresa Tracy, she's, she lives down in Seafield now. And there's a John Tracy. He works for the, uh, Fingal County Council. Wow. He, they, they were born in that in a house near the lake, right, right down beside the lake. Um, the Tracys would have worked in the stables for Harry Usher, and uh, so obviously when Harry Usher died, you know, somebody moves in, and I, I think Doctor Cross bought that bought the estate in '62. So that was probably three or four years after Harry Usher died that Dr. Cross bought it. And before David Blanford trained there, there was a trainer called Ted Curtin. He trained there and he moved out to go to the Curra to train his horses because he was getting a lot of good flat horses, which, you know, wouldn't necessarily be over kind of, you know, they, they wouldn't... Uh, going through woods wouldn't do much for a flat horse. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas the the steeplechase yeah. horses, the, yeah. they would they would really have enjoyed that right. that type of thing. Yeah. So, but the the strange thing was when I when I see it nowadays, is we there was there was a, a back entrance to the stables or to to the estate, and there was the main entrance where where, uh, where the gates are. Yeah, but the back entrance we we could sometimes if if the 
the horses had raced within the last couple of days. We could just walk them around the roads. So we'd go de- down the hill from the from the, the stables, out onto the Brackenstown Road, walk up to Noxidan Bridge, and back up through the main, come back in the, the main gates, and you mightn't see a car. At the most, you'd see one or two cars. And, you know, you'd be waving them down to slow them down. <laughs> and But now it's just non-stop traffic, you know. <laughs> it's just... Oh yes, Doctor Cross. As I say, he was he was uh, the assistant master to the rotunda. And whenever we had a vet there testing to see any any mares that were, that were there, were they in fault? He'd come along and he'd oh he, God, he'd say some of those instruments wouldn't be big enough for some of my patients. <laughs> but, uh, I jest, but that's he, he. No, he was he. he Doctor Cross was a, a kind of he. He was a lovely man. He, he kind of. His wife had predeceased him. I think she had died in 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 nineteen sixty. Doctor Cross. Yeah. Well, he was, as I say, he was a very learned man. Um, and apparently, on the, on the in those circles that he would have travelled in, you know, mingled with, he was a very good raconteur. He told uh, wonderful stories, and some of them had to be censored. You know, that would that would what I just said there a few minutes ago would be. One of his things that he'd say, you know, <laughs> and as I say, his two daughters both rode out in the yard, and they loved riding the horses. They'd had ponies, but they they had never been on a, a horse that had the speed. Uh, and when they got onto the gallops, you could you, the joy on their faces when you when you'd pull up after a good a good gallop. Um, but you know, it, it's strange. Race horses. It, it's, I suppose it's it's like getting preparing a horse you would never go flat out all the time it was just all the time it was building up muscle strength stamina and you you wouldn't you wouldn't work them all the time it was kind of and you know sometimes you'd be sitting against a hold trying to hold one back from going too fast so but um so the the elder of the two girls that rode out one day she was on a horse that took a bit of a hold and she she went flying off through the trees. <laughs> uh, her her helmet was knocked off by a branch, <laughs> but, but she she still did. She kept coming back for more. She loved it. Yeah. Diane was her name. Another chap in the yard. His name is Tony Gallagher. He recently died too within the last couple of years. Um, but he had a Honda fifty. So if we were going to go down to the village in Swords, we'd we'd go by Brackenstown House itself. Instead of going down the back road, we'd go down past Brackenstown House, and there was another laneway down there that brought you to the mill direct. And we could go up the road up by uh, by the the mill house and come out where Rose Cottage is now. And of course, that was the Brackenstown Road where Rose Cottage is. You know, they've they've since put a couple of roundabouts in and it, sense, it, yeah. so well to be honest with you we didn't really because the, the, there were students there during our part of the day there'd be there'd be nobody there um so as well as that it was private it was their private uh place so you didn't go staring into the into the, you know their private property and it was the same with uh Jack and Mary McGrath, they had a little, a lovely little cottage down the, down the, the road from the stables. But, you know, we, we'd see them and they'd wave to us as we rode by on the horses. But we, we didn't intrude on them, you know. They did have a granddaughter who lived in England 
uh, Mary Fryer, I think was her name. And she used to come over for the holidays and she used to come up. And Liam Malloy, he used to, he, he would get her riding on the horses and everything, you know, during the lunchtime or something like that. Just and she, you know, anyone that came up there loved, loved the, uh, the atmosphere up there, you know. It was, if you came from the Knoll Road and you, you got to the main entrance, um, there was a there was a, a gate lodge just at the main entrance, and there was a woman there called Kathleen Brown, and she was a niece of Harry Usher's, and she was apparently whenever she got the, the gate lodge, she was given a tenancy for life. So although she outlived Harry Usher, she outlived Doctor Cross. Everyone who bought the estate had to, and I think even Patrick Campbell. Who, who now owns the estate, he, you know, he actually paid for Kathleen Brown's burial. And she's, she's buried out in Rollerstown uh, yeah. Graveyard. But, um, so that was the first thing you met. With, in, in the main gates of Brackenstown um, was the gate lodge on the left. And something that seems to have been very badly overlooked is there's a graveyard to the right just across from where where the gate lodge was. And I remember being in it several times and there was five or six gravestones there. In And it was Richard Manders, who was the sheriff of Dublin at one stage. That was his own private uh, burial ground. In the mansion house in Dublin, he has a, there's a portrait of him in, in the Oak Room, apparently. Richard Manders, he was the sheriff of Dublin, um, and I think he operated a, a toll bridge on Noxidan Bridge um, back in the day. You know, but all of this I found out after <laughs> I'd left back sound. I didn't know any of this at the time. You know, it's just so if if you come up the Brackenstown Road and. There's a couple of small roundabouts, and at the second small roundabout, if you turn left at it, it's kind of just bringing you back in the direction of swords. And there's a there's a gate there with a, a, a few bars missing from the gate, and you gain access down to the lake through there. So, it, it's I think it's a public right away because no, no one's ever tried to prevent people from being going down there or, or visiting the lake because it's a beautiful spot. I, I, I walk the dog there every day. But for the last few weeks, probably since November, um, they've been pruning the cherry laurel trees that are around the lake and, and the avenues. They, you know, it, it is an invasive species. And it's killing all the native. So it it needed to be tackled. But they've left it in a terrible state. It's just mud everywhere. Oh, right, yeah. So it's, it's not, you know, if you're, if you're bringing a dog and he's splashing his belly, it's, it's kind yeah. of like, it, yeah. you'd have to have him dry cleaned every time you I go for that. a walk. <laughs> the, the, the wildlife there, there are, there are a couple of buzzards and you can hear them. Um, you, you wouldn't see them first. You just hear the, the, the little squeak they have. And immediately, um, I, I have an app on my phone now. It's called Merlin. And you can just turn on Merlin and identify that bird. And it'll come up, it listens, and then suddenly 
here we go. It's a, that's a buzzard. And then there's what you don't really realise is that there are background birds as well. And, you know, there's they call them Eurasian robins and Eurasian wrens and this type of stuff. But, um, yeah, there's in the early days, um, in the mill house, there were students staying there. I think they went to they went to Trinity, because they actually the uh, the trainer that I work for, David Blanford, he hitched up with one of them, and he had he had a romance with her for about probably five years or something like that. Um, so, so there was as I say, the students we didn't really see them because they would be gone in the morning. Yeah. Most people you you'd meet up in, in Noxiedan or Brackenstown, the lakes, would be dog walkers. Because because of the... Uh, in in the park, in, in further down, near where the jacko was, you have to have a dog on the lead. And as I say, it's, it's, it's a wonderful area. There's, there's squirrels there. My fella, he looks... He, he doesn't want to catch anything. He just wants to sniff them, you know. But they don't play ball with him, so... He, <laughs> so but he just loves it there. Yeah. I just opened the car door, out he pops, and it, we go off. I follow the dog. What what I can tell you, and this my wife will swear by this, and this and it's we were we were sitting in in the the house in the stable yard, and the David Blanford, the trainer, he had a, a, an Alsatian dog. And this, this dog, he, once he knew you, he was grand. But he was a great watchdog. So myself, and she wasn't my wife at the time. She, she was just my girlfriend. And we were sitting there watching the telly. And Vasco was at our feet. That was the dog. And the next thing, we could hear footsteps coming from the back end of the house up towards the door, which would lead out to the front door and the dog got up and hid behind us and I'm saying oh my god so I Rita said to me see what that is someone's out there so I, I <laughs> nervously opened the door into the corridor where the, the footsteps had come from not a sinner I opened the front door I went down to the back door nobody and the dog was still cowering in the and but that that was probably around 1970 that was and just recently within the last six months um i brought rita up to show her the house and the the state it's in and we were looking in through the window of the uh, the house into the room where we had been watching the television and the next thing, it was, it was a, a windyish day. And the next thing, there was galvanised uh, sheeting behind us went, Oh my God, she says, let's get out of here. <laughs> and that's, that is a true story. She, she would tell you that, that the dog was afraid of whatever the sound was. Never knew what it was, but it was... it. it the hair would stand on the back of your neck anyway. But it didn't bother, you know, kind of after it was gone, you say, ah.